Sermon number 607. Quiet. The Spirit is Speaking. Preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, May 7th, 1972. Text is taken from Revelation, the second and the third chapters. book in the Bible, the Revelation to John, the second chapter beginning at the first verse. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear evil men but have tested those who call themselves apostles but are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaians, which I also hate. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We don't read too often from the book of Revelation, but since we are slowly approaching another celebration of Pentecost, which some people have called down through the years the birthday of the church, and that day this year will be separated two Sundays from today. And since the General Assembly of the United Presbyterian Church will begin to meet for the 184th time, beginning a week from Tuesday in the great city of Denver, Colorado. And since this, our own church, the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, will be finishing 101 years of glorious history a week from this Saturday on May 20th, I have felt led today to address that general topic of what the Spirit is saying to the churches. For being a commissioner to the General Assembly beginning next week, trying to be a churchman and one who believes in the body of Christ, I join with John who, while on Patmos, that island, of exile, I believe 
that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking, I believe that that movement which is so mysterious to us was just as mysterious to him as he explains the Spirit, as he understood it through such things as candlesticks and stars and supernatural human beings. But I believe that Spirit still speaks. And just as it spoke to him in mysterious terms which we cannot understand nor comprehend, so the Spirit of God is speaking today, and it can be understood only by those people who have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the Church today. <coughs> John spoke to the seven churches of Asia. Now, there are more than seven churches, we know that. Why he limited to seven? It was not because these seven lay geographically in a circle. But seven to a Hebrew-thinking person is a symbolic number which represents completeness and totality. And when John spoke to the seven churches, he was speaking to the whole church, to the church universal. And the words which he spoke he speaks to Christians everywhere in the world today who claim the name of Jesus Christ. And I believe that the Spirit of God that spoke to John on the island of Patmos is speaking the same things to us today, for the same God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, brings his eternal word to the church in every generation. And you'll notice that each of the letters which he has written has a distinctive note, one word or, or one complete summary phrase which summarizes the whole concept or the whole message. And today my hope is and my prayer has been before entering this pulpit that through this word of God, which he spoke through his Spirit to John, he may again speak to those of us of the Church today, so we may know what that same Spirit is saying to our Church. But we must be still, and we must be quiet. For those who have ears to hear, the Spirit of God is speaking today, to you, and to me. When we look at the first letter, which is the letter that the Spirit wrote to the church of Ephesus, the word here is remember, and the phrase here is remember your first love. That's what the Spirit of God is saying to us. Remember. Remember your first love. Now, the Spirit of Jesus is not telling us to remember Judy or Jamie or Joanne, but Jesus. For as many of us have forgotten, the first law is that we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We love 
the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind. This is the first commandment, said our Master himself, and the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For of these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. This is what we are to remember, and unless we do remember our first love, which is to worship God, then the Spirit will never get through to our deafened ears, and we shall never know what it is all about. For this is the first love, and upon this love and the second love of loving our neighbor depends entirely on how we are going to receive the message of God in the church today. For if we remember our first love, we cannot help but remember that we have left our first love. If always we keep before us that our goal is to worship God and Him alone, we cannot help but be reminded continuously of the fact that we don't worship God. And in that remembrance is our only hope, which is repentance. And what the Church is saying today, officially and unofficially, through the Spirit of the living God, is what we need more than anything else, is repentance. A personal responsibility which you and I have for the problems we are experiencing. I don't mean to oversimplify, but ladies and gentlemen, if all of us would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all the other things would be added unto us. Our world would be in the shape that God would want it to be. But we don't worship first God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the only hope that we have is by realizing this is not the fault of our fathers and our mothers and our Sunday school teachers and some well-meaning but misled, misunderstood preacher. It's my fault. And unless I am more than sorry for what exists in the world today, and unless I am willing to turn about perhaps 180 degrees and start following a different goal in God, There's not much hope for me, for the church, or for the world. So the spirit that spoke to the church at Ephesus is speaking to the church in Bakerstown and to the United Presbyterian Church and to the church universal, wherever it is meeting today, and is saying, remember, remember your first love, that you have left her and repent. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. To the church at Smyrna, the Spirit of God writes, Realize your riches. Realize your riches. This means that we are to remember and to realize that we are blessed to be a blessing. It means that as people of the body of Christ, we are to be people who 
don't always talk just about our problems, but we also talk about our power. It means that we are people who realize that we have not all sorts of troubles, but we also have great resources of privilege. It means that we come together and not be apologetic for all of our idiosyncrasies and our inabilities, but that we come together and as well begin to apply our inheritance. It means that we are people who don't just sit around listening to human complaints and arguments, but we are people who begin to lean upon holy axioms. It means that we are people who do not always sit down analyzing our plights, but we are people who begin to act upon the promises which God has given to us. Promises like, I shall never leave you nor forsake you. Promises that I am working for the good in all things for those who love me and who are called by my name, the Christian church. Promises like the ones we learn not only from the Bible, but from the history of the church. That the church is comprised of human people, and because of it the church will make errors, many of them, and we have goofed many times. But this is the body of Christ. Christ died for the church. He bought it with his own life, and he has given to it the seal and the promises that no matter how many mistakes we make with this his body, eventually he will lead himself into the areas of reformation. God has never once left himself without a witness, and no matter what we do or do not do, even the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail against this, the body of Christ which is the church. We must realize this, not just talk about it, but allow our faith to depend upon it. And this is not what we do. We're so often on the defensive instead of the offensive. So the Spirit of God is saying to the church at Smyrna, realize. Realize your riches. And this is what he says to you and me, the churchmen of today. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pergamus. Pergamus, that, that's to whom the, through the third letter was written. And to this community, the Spirit of God says, resist. Resist the encroaching pressure of power, politics, and pagan ideologies. Resist them like the plague. You see, the people in Pergamos were having trouble like some people are having in our land today. They were having a hard time saying honest prayers and worshiping with a single eye. They wanted to dilute Christianity with some of the other religions in the land, the religions of the state which were most prevalent in Pergamos. There was a great move on to worship not only Christ but Caesar, the state, 
with government and to begin to believe that this bureaucracy has the answer to all the ills and the problems of the world. And then there was the god and goddess of Baal, which turned the eyes not only of the young, but of the not so young as well, to sensuous pleasure and to try to get people to live a moral life on Sunday and immorality to be the name of the game the rest of the week. These people were trying to mesh that which cannot mesh, God and mammon. These people, you see, were trying to lower Christianity to the level of these particular ideas and pagan ideologies instead of trying to lift the world to the level of Christianity. And we're still doing it today. And the Spirit of God is speaking to us, saying, resist the encroaching pressures of power politics and pagan ideologies. <coughs> Folks, how do you think, just how do you think communism, atheism, agnosticism, nationalism, militarism, permissiveness, and all of these other heresies and rivals to the Christian church and to the free nation creep into our land. They don't come with, with, with banners flying and with drums beating and bugles blaring. They creep in through our homes, through our churches, through our schools, and through every other good institution that we have in our land. Creeping inch by inch into the minds of people who are still formulating their policies for life. We must resist them. See them early in the stages of their life. Resist these encroaching pressures of power politics and pagan ideologies. That's what the Spirit said to the church at Pergamos, and that's what the Spirit of God is saying to us today. The church at Thyatira. This particular church, the word came to that people saying, remain steadfast. Remain steadfast in the light of the temptations which you shall meet. You see, that particular church fell into the problem, I guess, that many, many a church falls into today. People have not only temptations, but churches have them as well. And thus we recognize it, for just as the Lord, who is the head of the church, had to suffer temptation in the desert, so oftentimes this is the place where we must face it when we are hungry and when we are tired and when we need new members and when we need more money so often we are willing to compromise and to allow people
to come into the particular fellowship of a church without proper understanding and reality of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Sometimes we allow our churches to become famous for other reasons than God would intend. Many a church I know is famous for its kitchen, for its great choir, or for its popular preacher. But a church should be famous only for one reason, and that is being faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are faced with temptations like this all the while, just like Christ was faced to use power recklessly. So oftentimes the church is often tempted to use its power and its prestige for other things than to try win, to win people for the reconciliation through Jesus Christ. And when a church is filled with people who can be easily tempted, believe me, it's very difficult to keep the church standing steadfast, remaining steadfast in the life of temptation. And the Spirit of God knows this, and it is saying to us, nevertheless, in light of all of temptation, remain steadfast. The church at Sardis. I wish we could take longer on each one of these, but time will not permit. But the church at Sardis, the particular spirit of God said, reject normal or nom nominal Christianity. Reject nominal Christianity. You see, they must have had a great, great church in Sardis. That is, it was big in building. They had popular preachers. They had individuals, probably in an educational program, who maybe did their homework. There was only one problem with that particular church. It had no spirit. It was all outward form. It looked good, and it sounded good, but there was nothing to it once you got inside. You see, that's the trouble sometimes with the church. We worry so much about the building. We want to make sure we have a proper staff. We want to make sure we have a good program. But oftentimes the Spirit of God is not there. The Spirit of God comes through preaching, through prayer. And I just wonder how many of you people this morning prayed for this service and for your children in the church school and for their teachers. I wonder how many of you who know how to give good gifts to your children, even though you are evil, know how much more God will give to us, those of us who pray for his Holy Spirit. In these days of difficulty, I hope all of you are regular at the throne of grace praying for this church, for the United Presbyterian Church, and for the Church Universal, that we may be people who just don't sound good and look good, but that we can be the body of Christ which is good in the world today. To the Church of Philadelphia, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, reclaim your mission. Reclaim your mission. To the Philadelphian church, the Spirit of God is saying to them and to us, there is an open door before you which no man can close. It's the world. 
Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to us, Go ye and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you teach them the things that I have taught unto you. The world is our mission, ladies and gentlemen, and the minute that we have eyesight trouble and become short-sighted and lose that vision, this church is in trouble, as is any church that has not the mission of the world as its goal. The church primarily exists, says William Temple, for those outside the church, for those who never come near it. And thank God this church, with its money, with its program, and with its time, and with its plan in the next ten years to give a dollar for mission for every dollar we spend here at home, I hope the good Lord will recognize what we're trying to do, for if we had not that mission, and reclaim our mission day after day. We are not being true to the commandment which has called us to be a church. And to the church at Laodicea, he says here above all, rekindle your faith at the fire of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> to this particular church, the Spirit of God says a very horrible thing. He says, you make me sick. You make me sick because you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. And because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I want to spew you out of my mouth. What was wrong with the church that lay out to see you? It had no spirit, no enthusiasm, no fire. Down in Tennessee, they tell the story about a man who claimed to be an atheist, he never went to church, and on Sunday morning during worship, he always sat on the steps down at the country store, whittling a piece of wood and, and talking theology with anyone who would listen, but he would never go to church. They called him Uncle George. One night the fire bell rang, and the church was on fire. Sure enough, who, because they had no fire department in that particular town and had to depend upon the water bucket brigade, who do you suppose was at the head of that brigade splashing water furiously upon those encroaching flames? You guessed it, Uncle George. And the preacher, when he arrived on the scene, saw this man and went up to him and said, Uncle George, this is the first time I've seen you at church. And Uncle George said, this is the first time I've ever seen the church on fire. And you know, I often wonder how many people stay away from this particular community of God because they see no fire, no enthusiasm, no spirit of the living God. How do you get lukewarm water to become boiling water? You can't force it. You can't create artificial means to build fires. There's only one way, and that's by the Spirit of God infecting each one of us. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is standing at the door of your heart today. He's standing at the door of this church. He knocks. And he says, if any man will hear my voice, I will come in to him and sup with him 
and he with me. This church, this church, together with all churches throughout the world, needs to hear that knock and to be still and to hear that voice and invite in our Christ. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Father of God, we're thankful for every gift in life. Help us not to play church, but to be the church. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>